So we're going we're gonna to keep building our foundation today. Um, so Pastor Caleb started building our foundation. So if we're truly going to show genuine care, uh, we have to make sure our foundation is set and that we're all on the same page. So today we're going to start on page 12, and we're going to think about the gospel, and we're going to think about the Great Commission. Now, sometimes when you hear the word gospel, it's, it's a common word that we all hear. It's a common word that we're all familiar with. And we think, why do we need that? Well, the reason why we need that, I look to John Wooden. How many of you know who John Wooden is? So he's an old basketball coach who coached UCLA in the 60s. So he was probably the best basketball coach that ever lived. So in his coaching career, he won 10 national titles. There was a stretch from 1966 to 1973 where he only lost five games. So one of the best basketball coaches that ever lived, well, every year when he got his team to practice for the first time, he did the same thing. He did two things. The first thing he taught them how to do was put on their socks and shoes. And then the second thing he did is he held up the basketball and said, gentlemen, this is a basketball. And the reason why is if you can put your socks and shoes on the right way, your ankle doesn't roll, you don't get blisters, and you can play longer. And if you forget what a basketball is, you forget why you're playing. So what I want us to do today is think about the gospel in such a way that it informs how we care for others. So to do that, we're going we're gonna to think through an example of a doctor, right? So when you go to the doctor, how many of you love going to the doctor? Going to the doctor is not fun, right? Um, but when you go to the doctor, it's very important that you get the right diagnosis, right? Because if you get the right diagnosis, you can get the right plan to treat what you're going through. So I have a nine-year-old son, and one morning he came in and was like, Daddy, I don't feel good. And I assumed he was trying to get out of school. But then he started coughing, and I looked at his throat, and it was very red. So we took him to the doctor, right? And the first thing they did was test him for what? COVID. And they said, your COVID test is negative. Just send him home. He'll be better in a couple days. Well, he didn't get better in a couple days. They said, just wait, he just needs rest and fluids. Well, finally on Thursday, that was a Monday, finally on Thursday we went back and they gave him a strep test and what did he have? And once he got the strep test, he was able to get the antibiotics and what happened? Within a day, he felt better, right? So for us to truly understand the gospel and to truly understand genuine care, the first thing we have to do is we need to diagnose what is wrong with humans, all right, so I want us to think about that. So to do that, let's go to Genesis chapter 3. So to get the diagnosis right, we have to understand truly what happened in the garden and how it impacts us all. So when you think through what happened in the, in the garden, so let's look at the very beginning. We're going to look at the first six verses. So now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So the, when the woman... So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired and that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So we know this passage well. This is the fall of humankind. And when you think through the nature of the fall, you see this right here. You see rebellion. Right? God had instructed Adam and Eve to live in a certain way. He had instructed them to not eat of certain trees. But they rebelled and did what they wanted to. You see desires that are out of whack. Right? She, Adam and Eve desired to be wise, so they ate of the tree. You see that they were allured. Right, Their lust and their desires allowed them to be pulled towards something they knew they shouldn't have. It was a lack of trust in God. Right? When Satan says, God, God knows that if you eat of it, you'll be like him. And it causes a lack of trust in God, so they didn't trust God. And not loving God first because they, they loved themselves first. So this is the, the passage where sin is introduced into the world. This is the passage where sin overtakes humanity. So when you think through Genesis 3, and we're not going to read the whole chapter, but j- drop down to verse 14. So this is where, after Eve ate the fruit, the Lord confronts her, and she blames the serpent. And this is what God says, starting in verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Hold on to that one because we're going to come back to it. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall get bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So when sin enters the world, there's the sowing and reaping, right? We sow sin, and things happen because of that. And when you look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, all the way to chapter 4, verse 8, you see the results of sin playing out in a very real way, right? So think through, what are the physical results of sin, right? Childbirth becomes painful. Work becomes painful. There's the the physical element of Cain killing Abel, right? So sin impacts us physically. Think through the spiritual effect of sin. Sin separates us from God, right? There was a close relationship that was broken. And spiritually, humans are far from God. There's emotional. There's guilt. There's turmoil. Think through the relational effects, right? Like when Adam blamed Eve, I'm sure that was fun to go home to that night, right? But relationship between husband and wife is in trouble. Cain kills Abel. Right, So there's a breaking of relationships this way. There's a breaking of relationships this way. 
And we live in a Genesis 3 hangover, right? So we live in the reality of this sin, and we see it physically, we see it spiritually, we see it emotionally, and we see it in our relationships. So what is sin? We say this word all the time. Uh, Sin is something I want us to think about for a minute because it allows us to really understand the problem. So important thing to lay out when we think about sin is we sin because we're sinners. We don't become sinners when we sin, right? Our very nature, who we are at our core, is marred by sin. So what, what does Scripture say about sin? So jump with me to 1 John chapter 2. And let's look at verses 15 and 17. So this is what John says. John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So different words in Scripture are used to describe sin. Uh, Lust is used, right? When we want something that's not ours, we lust after it. Desires, right? We desire something strongly. We want something. Idolatry, right? We are are putting something in the place uh, that is due only God. We replace God with something else. Spiritual adultery, right? Our affections should be for God, but we put them to other things. Rebellious behavior, flesh. When you read scripture, you see these words all over to talk about sin. 1 John 3, 4 says that sin is a transgression of the law. David in Psalm 51 talks about sin, transgression, and iniquity. So these are all words that we see that help us understand what sin is. Sin is missing the mark. Right? It's, it's us doing something that we're not supposed to. We shoot for perfection. We're off in some way, and it's sinful. And sin is at the core of who we are. To further capture this problem, jump to Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10. We're going to do a little Bible drill today. So Jeremiah 17, 9, and 10 captures the problem, and then we'll jump over to Jeremiah 31 and see the solution, and then we'll lay out the gospel. So Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So when you think about our problem, it's much deeper than we can think. When you're showing genuine care to people, you often see the behavior that's on the outside. But scripture tells us that our problem is much deeper. It's it's core level problems. And Austin is going to talk a lot more tomorrow about the heart. But Jeremiah 17.9 tells us that our heart is desperately sick. So jump to to Jeremiah. Actually, let's think about this. So you see here, you see the words that the problem that we have as humankind is desperate. 
it's desperate. It's not a little problem. It's not something minor. It's not something insignificant. But our problem is desperate. And we desperately need a solution. Our problem is not just bad behavior. Right? So oftentimes when, when somebody is struggling, you want to focus on that behavior. Right? Like if somebody is coming to you and, and, and they're angry, you want them to what? Stop being angry. When somebody is looking at pornography, you want them to what? Stop looking at pornography. But according to scripture, behavior modification won't work because our problem is much deeper. It reminds me, do y'all remember that Saturday Night Live skit where Bob Newhart was the psychologist? And he, he was in his office and a lady comes in and her big fear, her big anxiety was she was afraid of being buried alive in a box. And Bob Newhart sits in his chair and explains, I charge $5 for the first five minutes and the rest of it's free. We won't take the whole five minutes. So he's like, tell me your problem. And she's like, well, when I think about being buried alive in a box, I just become overwhelmed with anxiety. And she goes, okay, okay, tell me more about it. So she tells a little bit more of the problems. And he sits back in his chair and goes, all right, I'm going to tell you the solution. Are you ready? She's like, can I write it down? And he's like, if you want to. He's like, it's just two words. Stop it. Stop it. And she's like, well, I, I uh, okay. And, and I, I uh, get into uh, bad relationships with men. Stop it. Stop it. Right? When people come to us with their problems, it's easy for us to just look at them and be like, stop it. Stop it. But their hearts are desperately sick. Their hearts are desperately corrupt. And they can't just stop it. And the problem that we have, and you see it there, is a perverted heart. So we need fixing at a heart level. When we're showing genuine love to people and genuine care to people, we need to understand that what is happening is deep within their hearts and that the solution that they need is deeper than what just behavior modification. So jump to Jeremiah 33, and let's start thinking about what the solution to our problem is. So Jeremiah 31 and we're going to look at verses 33 and 34. So when I was a kid, we used to have to do Bible drills where you stood in front of a room and they said, fine, Isaiah 51 too. And all the kids rush and try to find it. And now on an iPad, I just click it three times and I'm there. So verses 33 and 34 for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer, and no longer shall each, teach, each one teach his neighbor and each teach his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So when we understand, showing genuine care with people means understanding the problem. And the problem is a perverted heart. The problem is sin. We have to consider what the solution is. And the solution is the gospel. Right? People need the gospel. So when we think through the gospel... I love thinking about the gospel in four words, and it's God, man, Christ, response. So when you think through the flow of the gospel, 
God, man, Christ response. And included in this gospel, the power of the gospel is what we need to change. And the power of the gospel is what our people need to change too. So let's think about this here uh, together. And you remember, remember in Genesis 3.15 that promise that there is one coming who will crush the head of the serpent, that he will bruise his heel. That's a, a promise of Jesus coming. So think through God, right? So there is a supreme Lord of the universe, right? Our creator who created us. Go to Psalm 24 or just listen to it. So Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the river. So God is the creator, and he created humans special. Right? When you think through the creation story, everything he created, what did he say about it? It was good. And then he created mankind, and what did he say? It was very good. And God created us to reflect glory to him. And he created us to be in relationship with him as image bearers. Genesis 1, 26 through 28 is a super relevant verse in our culture today. So listen to this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So we don't find our identity downward. We find our identity upward. We're made to reflect God and to be in relationship to God. But when you think through God, culture messes God up all the time, right? They go against God and against what he created them to be. You know, we see this. We see people who are, will tell you straight up, I'm my own God. I don't believe God exists. I can do what I want, and nobody can tell me what to do. Our students spent yesterday out at the mall sharing the gospel with people, and one of them came, up, came across an individual, and that person said, hey, if that works for you, fine. I don't think God is real. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Right? Culture does that. Uh, the LGBTQ uh, community rebels against the way God created them, right? God created them male and female, and they say, no, I'm some sort of different gender. I'm something else. We rebel against God. So God created us. He's our creator, and he created us to be in relationship with him, and he created us to reflect his glory. But as we were talking about earlier, something went very, very wrong, right? And that's where man comes in. And, and this is what we call sin. And this sin leaves us in a desperate situation. So you see here in the book, sin is not only transgressing the law, but it's seeking satisfaction elsewhere. So we're guilty of my own way. Like we live for ourselves all the time. So here's the situation. When we're helping people and we're asking them to change, and when we're, we're sharing the gospel with people, they have to understand that they're lost before they can change. Right? Before they can be found, they have to understand that they are lost. So we're lawbreakers. We see that in James 2.10. And, and I love Matthew chapter 5. Like I, I tell my students this all the time. So Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is, is giving the Sermon on the Mount. 
and he gives the examples of anger and lust, right? And he says, you've heard it said, you shall not be angry with your brother. And I can picture people there going, yes, I got that. I'm not going to be angry. Or he's like, no, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. And I, people are like, good. No plans to murder today. Not going to murder. I think I'm good on that. But he says, if you have anger in your heart, you've committed murder already. And he says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. And I'm sure the people were like, okay, I got that one for sure. I'm not going to do that. And he says, but I say, if you've looked after someone with lustful intent, you've committed adultery in your heart already. So even when we think we're doing good, we break the law. So we are law breakers. And because of that, we are under wrath and deserve death. So when you think through, God created us, we came in, sin entered the world, and that leaves us in this desperate position before God. And if the story stopped right there, that would not be good news, would it? Because if, it was st- if the story stopped there, we would be responsible for our own sin. And we would be responsible for our own sin with death and separation from God forever. But the story doesn't stop there, does it? So this is where Jesus Christ comes in. I love the way he says it here. Like a knight in shining armor, he comes riding into our dark and desperate situation to rescue us. And think through the I am statements that Jesus says. He says, I am the light in a dark world. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what Jesus did is he went to the cross compelled by love. And we see that in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Listen to what Paul says. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved. For I delivered of you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. I deliver to you as of first importance. The gospel changes lives. So when we were dead in our sins, when we were um, at our most hopeless, Jesus came in and died on the cross. And I love thinking about the gospel with 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. So Jesus never sinned. He lived a perfect life, and he took our sins upon himself and nailed them to the cross so that when God saw him, he saw all of our sins, all of our unrighteousness, all of our impurity. And then as a result, Jesus gives us his righteousness so that when God sees us, he sees holy, righteous, and forgiven. So God, man, Christ, response. We have to respond. We are called to switch loyalties. Before we are believers, we are following the way of the world. We are dead in our sins. We are loyal to the things of the world. And we have to respond with faith and repentance and switch our loyalties to the things of God. Listen to what the Baptist faith and message says. Regeneration is a change of heart wrought by the Holy Spirit through conviction of sin to which the sinner responds in repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith are inseparable experiences of grace. Repentance is a genuine turning from sin toward God. 
Faith is the acceptance of Jesus Christ and commitment to the entire personality to him as Lord and Savior. So we are dead in our sins. Even though God created us good, we fell. Sin entered the world. Man has a big problem. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And as a result, we respond with faith and repentance and we can be changed and become more like him. And we are saved to be disciples of Jesus Christ. So the gospel is not just a message we believe, but it's a person we follow. We change our lives to follow Christ. We become more like him. So there's a turning from and a turning to. So we don't just turn from sin, but we turn to God. And I love Paul's testimony. Listen to Philippians 3. And we'll we'll read uh, verses 4 through 14. So Paul's testimony. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may be known to him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Oh, I love that testimony. So think about the Apostle Paul, persecutor of the church, hated God. God changed his heart, and he forgot all of that because he wanted to be more like Christ. And when we're dealing with people who are hurting, when we're dealing with people who are uh, struggling with sin, the best thing we can do for them is take them back to the glorious gospel that saved them. And if somebody comes to you and is hurting and they're not a Christian— the best means to help them change is the gospel, right? So when we think through the foundation for genuine care, when we think through the fuel for what makes people change, it's the gospel, right? And when you think through what people are going to, so when you think through somebody who's going through anger, right? right? They, they are angry because of something that has happened to them, right? They need to go to God to trust him that Christ came to save for them, to give them comfort and peace. When somebody is anxious, we can teach them to trust God because they know that God has a plan. When somebody is, is fighting for the control, we can teach them to let go because we know that God has a plan. Whatever people are going through, we can take them back to the Bible and take them back to the gospel, and they can have true and lasting change that lasts forever. When you think through what behavior modification is, it's just it's, it's a simple correcting And you're not really changing the root of what's causing it. And again, Austin's going to get more into that. But if we want people to have true and lasting change, we take them to the gospel and we comfort them with the gospel. But then let's jump over to page 14. What 
do we do with the gospel? And this is where we get into the, to the mission of our genuine care, right? And it's the Great Commission. So when you're, when you're talking to people and when you're getting to know people, it's going to provide you many opportunities to, to have gospel proclamation. We read John 3.16, love is intrinsic to the Great Commission. So God was moved by love and he sent Jesus to the cross to die for us. And when you see Jesus described in the Gospels, I love the pictures of him when he's overlooking a city and, and, and he's moved with compassion because he sees people who are harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was moved with love for people who needed to be changed by the gospel. Jesus felt compassion and he sees sinners like a, like a caring doctor sees a patient. Like how many of you have children and when your child's sick, it's the most heartbreaking thing for you and all you want to do is just be there to help them. That's how Jesus is when he sees a sinner. And in Luke 19, we see that his mission was to seek and save the lost. So listen to what Dane Ortland says in Gentle and Lowly. And what did he do when he saw the unclean? What was his first impulse when he came across prostitutes and lepers? He moved towards them. Pity flooded his heart. The longing of true compassion. He spent time with them. He touched them. We can all testify to the humanness of touch. A warm hug does something warm words of greeting alone cannot do. Jesus was so moved with compassion when he saw people who were suffering or hurting, he moved towards them. And that is what we should do as Christians, right? When, when people are hurting, when people are suffering in the church, we should move towards them with love and compassion and care. So Jesus' love compelled him to others. But Jesus' love also motivated Paul to share the gospel. So listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all had died. Do you ever sit back and think about what God has forgiven you of? Like, do you ever think back of what your life was like before Christ and, and the unbelievable mercy and grace that he showed you? And when you think through that mercy and grace, it should cause you to want to go out with that gospel to as many people as you possibly can. Like love for others leads to a radical ambition for the nations. That's why people from Jacksonville will come up to New York, right? That's, that's why we send missionaries out all over the world. Because we have a, a message that can change the world. And it's scary sometimes, though, right, to share the gospel? We were talking about that with my students. Like, hey, we're going to send you in a mall in the middle of Long Island, New York, and you're going to go talk to people. And they were like, ugh. That's, that feels rough. But they were like, hey, we're going to paint the basement. And they're like, cool, let me go change. <laughs> right? So, but strong love for God and others should Drive out any fear you have to share the gospel. Uh, I love doing this with my students. I ask them all the time, how many of you think that sharing the gospel is biblical? And they all raise their hand. I was like, how many of you think that God can use your efforts in evangelism to see people saved? They all raise their hand. I'm like, how many of you think that to be a faithful Christian 
you have to share your faith. They all raise their hand. I'm like, how many of you know someone who is not a Christian? Every single one of them raises their hand. And then I say, how many of you shared the gospel this week? And like two hands like timidly raise, but they all go down. The reality is, as we have been forgiven of much, we know people all over our city. We know people in our lives who are lost and dying and on their way to hell. And our love for them should compel us to open our mouth and share the gospel. One of the base level ways we can show genuine care, one of the, the most caring things we can do is when we see a loved one or we see someone who is dying and on their way to sin or to hell because they are lost in their sin, is to share the gospel with them. So that strong love for God and that strong love for others will drive that fear we have about telling others about Jesus. Because you can think about it. Most of us can talk to anybody. Like, if it's something we're passionate about, we're going to open our mouths and talk, right? So Tuesday, me and a group went and hung out with Gary. And I'm a big baseball fan. And I think Gary and I probably could have talked about baseball for about six or seven hours. He had a Mike Piazza thing. I, I like Mike Piazza. We talked about the 2006 NLCS. We could have talked about that for hours. If you want to talk to me about my wife and my son, I will talk to you about them forever. Like we naturally talk about the things that matter to us, right? All of you have something you're passionate about and interested in. And you can talk about that. You, you, you're comfortable to talk about that. But when we love others, we are willing to say and do hard things. And that love should tell us to get out of our comfort zone and share with people the most amazing message that they're ever going to hear in their life. So let's close out with this. Go to Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to look at verses 28 and 30. So when we think through a culture that needs genuine care, when we think through a culture that is broken, and when we think through a culture that just needs hope, this is one of the best passages that we can come to. Like how many of you know someone who is hurting? How many of you know someone who feels like life is hopeless? We all do. And then we come to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30. And this is what he says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this is a gospel invitation. He is asking people to come to him for rest and hope and comfort. Like, how many times, like, think through the hardest thing you've ever been through in your life. Like, think through whatever it was. For me, it was when my wife and I, we lost a child. And I was confused, and we had to go and deliver, and I was just hurting. I wasn't sleeping well. And you see this in, in verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Like when you're going through something, when you're hurting, 
You just want rest. And he says, come to me and I will give you rest. And he says, take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. You're going to come across people who are hurting so bad. And they just want rest from what they're going through. And that is where we can come in with the glorious message of the gospel. That the burden from Jesus is not heavy, but it is light. So that when life is difficult and when life hurts, they can come and find rest for their weary souls. And that's such a beautiful promise. So you see here, weary and heavy laden. And I think that accurately describes the condition of our cities and the world we live in. Um, I, I have a family member who is well entrenched into the LGBTQ community. And he is in the early stages of transitioning. And it breaks our heart. But he's just looking for something to give him hope. He is weary and heavy laden. And he is looking to the wrong thing to give him hope. He is, he is looking to things that are going to burden him even more. And he's going to find that, that what he's doing and what he's looking to is not going to give him rest. It's going to make it worse. And that is where I hope he remembers the gospel that he knows so well. So the context tells us our Lord is inviting others to be his followers. And this humble and gentle wants to give rest to our souls. When people are hurting, when people are coming to the church and, and you are going to give them genuine care, they're just looking for something. And that something they're looking for is hope. Hope that it's going to be okay and hope that it's going to be better. And that gospel that we talked about earlier compels us to help others stop worshiping idols and start worshiping the true God. So we were created in the Garden of Eden to be worshipers. Like we worship something. We should be worshiping God, but many times we worship other things. John Calvin describes us, our hearts, as idol factories. So we have an idol. If we beat that one, we have another one coming right behind it. And if we beat that one, we have another one coming right behind it. We are good at creating things to worship. And, and, and not like olden times where we have literal idols in our houses where we bow down to them. Your, your idols are what you spend your time worshiping, what you spend your time doing, what you spend your money on, what you think about. And we are asking people to turn from idolatry and turn to Christ. Idols always overpromise and underdeliver. Like think through things you've struggled with in your life. Like you thought that thing was going to bring you joy and happiness, and it brought you heartache and misery. Right? And sin does that. Idols do that. And it's loving of us to point these people to true freedom that comes in relationship when we give our lives to Christ and have our heart changed by the gospel. So we want people who are dealing with pain in their life to understand that even in those moments, they can have serious joy in worship. We want people to turn from brokenness and turn from idols to trust in Christ and what he has done for us. And that means sometimes we have to love difficult people, right? How many of you don't know a difficult person? I think we all know difficult people, right? 
I think if you ask my wife if she knows a difficult person, she'd say she was married to him. But listen to Ephesians 5, and we'll close with this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we are to be imitators of God, and one of the ways we do that is we walk in love. Just like Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And that is what we do as a church, right? We meet the needs of those who are in the church. And when you truly understand the character of God, like Pastor Caleb was talking about, and when you understand that the Bible is our source of authority, and when you understand that the gospel is the fuel for the change, it should cause you to seek out people to love and people you can share the gospel with and people you can help through their problems. So the rest of this week, we're going to think very practically about how we show genuine care to others. But let me pray for us that, that we won't hear these things that we've heard so many times today and let it go in one ear and out the other, but that God will work in our hearts afresh to hear these things we've heard before, but to rejoice and love them even more. And after I pray, Austin's going to come up and, and close us out. So, Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to show genuine care for others, Father. And Lord, we praise you and thank you for sending Jesus to the cross to die for our sins. Father, we were lost and we were without hope. But you sent Jesus to die. And Father, thank you for the changed lives in this room of the gospel. God, thank you for the work that you have done uh, in, in this church and Father, I pray that we won't hear these things that we've heard so many times and let it become just something else that's just familiar and we forget about. But God, that hearing them tonight will revive a love in us for you and a thankfulness for what you've done. Father, so that we can show the love you've given us to others. Lord, we know our culture is hurting. We know our culture is lost. So, Father, we know that the, the, the only hope we have is in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So, Father, may we rejoice in that. And as we fellowship and as we think through uh, the rest of our time tomorrow, Father, give us opportunities to love on people who desperately need your truth. And, Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.